0: The Path of Resistance podcast is the podcast for people wanting to learn how living life with intentionality can lead us to living our best lives. In today's world, the norm is to follow the path of least resistance, which leads to mediocrity at best. Instead, you should strive to take the path of resistance, knowing that what's to come is sweeter than what you ever could have imagined. I'm your host, Carly Welty. Join me as I interview guests who have taken the path of resistance in all areas of life and are here to share the beauty it has brought them. On this journey, you can expect to hear stories about finances, faith, business, mindset, and anything in between. Let's dive in. Get ready to learn a ton about mental health. While recording this episode, I learned so many new things. Today, I'm talking with Lindsay, a friend I met at the Empower Her Live conference. She's a wife, soon-to-be mama of two, a social worker, and author of the book, I Got 99 Coping Skills and Being a Bitch Ain't One. Don't you love that title? I mean, no one likes being a B-word, so if you want to deal with your anxiety, depression, and stress in a more positive way, definitely grab a copy of Lindsay's book. It's linked in the show notes. Before we get to today's episode, I want to shout out two reviews that I received on Apple Podcast. The first one is from Loretta. Even before hearing the interviews, I can tell this podcast will be one of substantial material meaningful at so many levels. I know it will be encouraging and beneficial to many. The subject matter combined with Carly's endearing personality will be a worthwhile experience to tune into on this series of enlightening conversations. Blessings along the way. Thank you so much, Loretta. Another review I want to read is from Wes. It says, such a good podcast with so much wisdom. Thank you, Wes. I appreciate you. So, I just thought that would be fun to share some of the reviews. If you want to be featured on a podcast, be sure to write in a review on Apple Podcast. Not only is it fun to read these, it also helps the podcast move up in the charts so more people can listen in. Okay, now here's today's episode. So today I have with me Lindsay. Lindsay, how are you doing? I am so good. So happy to be here. Yay, so happy. Okay, so I want to ask you the first question that I ask everyone, which is what's an example of a time you took a path of resistance, which turned out to have a more beautiful result?
1: Yes, I love this question. And I knew my answer right away as soon as you sent it to me. So when I was in grad school, actually, my whole trajectory, I was planning on becoming a school counselor. And then um, I ended up working in my gap year at an inpatient psychiatric hospital. And the social workers pulled me aside. And they were like, you don't need to be a school counselor, you need to be a social worker. And I was like, what the heck is a social worker? And so one of the girls actually ended up taking me to coffee and explaining to me like all that a social worker does. And I then made a really hard decision at the time. I was already a semester through grad school and I simultaneously withdrew out of the counseling program and applied to the social work program, which put me another year behind, behind in quotes, because... You know, no one's really ever behind in life, but felt that way at the time. Um, And I got accepted. And then I took I took that path instead. And it has 1000% been one of the best choices I ever made. Um, But for me, it was like I was initially planning on taking one gap year. And because I did that, it ended up actually being three gap years that I took. So like I said, I just felt really behind in kind of my career and my life and all the things. Um, but I'm so, so, so happy I made that choice. And it's just been, it was so much better for me. So, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> and I could tell um, talking to you at the conference that you love your job. So um, I, I'm glad that you said like in the beginning in your path, you were like, what the heck is a social worker? So can you explain that <laughs> for yeah. me and the audience? Because I just want a little clarification on that.
1: Yeah, totally. So um, being a social worker is a really really broad um, prof- or I, like I don't know licensure I guess so I have my my master's in social work now which basically <laughs> like people will say it's like the holy grail of the helping profession so social workers you will find them all over the place like they can literally be in like government agencies they can be working private practice therapy, they can be in clinics, they can be, I mean, literally all over the place. Um, And so it's like, (laughs) in a way, it's good, because we're generalists. So we are sometimes like the jack of all trades, but the master of none, as people say. Um, But each social worker kind of has like their own little niche, their own little whatever. So if I want to be in a school, I can be in a school doing therapy. I can be doing all, all different things all over the place. So that's not really a great answer for you. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but like literally you can be doing kind of anything with it. It's just one of the licensures within the helping profession is kind of the best way to describe it.
0: Gotcha. And so most recently you talked about like having gap years. What did you do as being a social worker?
1: So most recently, once I, um became licensed my I was in an integrative health healthcare setting so for me um I was in what's called a federally qualified health center and they're all over the states um and they are the coolest things ever so listeners this is like I love it it is a behavioral health clinic that is housed with primary care um so just a, your regular doctor um, and sometimes they have other services, too. Like in the clinic I was in, we had a dental clinic. We also had um, legal, like a legal team. So it's kind of like a one-stop shop for helping people. So the best example I can give is if somebody's coming in to see their primary care provider for whatever reason. And the primary care provider in conversation is kind of like, it seems like you are going through some you know more anxiety stuff or maybe that was like their presenting problem anyway then the behavioral um, health provider, so me, the the um, my title was behavioral health consultant, can come in and chat with the patient about whatever is going on. Because today, one of our biggest problems in the mental health care system is a lot of people, as a really good first step, go to their primary care provider, which is awesome. The problem being that doctor might only have like I don't know, eight hours worth of training on mental health, and then provides a script, a prescription for um, a medication that may not, may or may not be necessary. So it's just like their, you know, a primary care provider's goal is really to like treat the medical side of things. They're not always equipped and trained to do the mental health side of things. So while it's a really good first step, these integrative healthcare clinics really allow for like these warm handoffs to happen and get you to the right person that can help you does that make sense
0: yeah that makes perfect sense um these places sound like a unicorn though I've never heard of them (laughs) they are they're all
1: over the country we they're they're federally qualified so it's a federal it's a federal program the problem ends up being a lot of people assume that it's for people that like don't have insurance health insurance or don't have you know or are underinsured or are not insured and that's not true anybody can go to them um, but they aren't super well known and they're not super well talked about but they're in I think in Minnesota we have I want to say 14 of them and people don't know until I like tell them about it like it's just not like a super well-known thing so yeah something to consider
0: you just spread the word
1: (laughs) totally and it's like you know, somebody came in presenting with anxiety symptoms. They saw their doctor. Great. Then I came in, I was able to talk to them and then I dug a little bit deeper, asked the right questions, probed the right way and come to find out like, Oh, she actually doesn't have insurance and she does need help. But we have somebody from the insurance department on staff. So she can come in, get her going on getting actual health insurance, which is huge and necessary. in you know, our country, and then that person might have asked some more right questions and realized, oh, it looks like you were stuck because you had some legal issues going on. Well, let's get you over to our our person, and we can figure out some of those things and what we can. So it's just like so many people and so many resources yeah. all right there, and it's like it's beautiful. It's and just, it's called it's an, the whole person.
0: <laughs> it's called an integrative
1: healthcare system. So integrative healthcare centering is kind okay. of like what it is, but it's actually called a federally qualified health center, FQHC.
0: Okay. Yeah. I feel like yes. that's really needed all across the country. So I'm glad that you've educated us a little bit. Today. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yes. it's a great, it's a great system. So. Yeah. so yeah. So you talk about going to a primary care doctor and then saying like, oh, they have anxiety. And then that's kind of where you step in. So is that what you specialize in is anxiety or just like yes. mental health as a whole, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. So for me personally, I focus
0: on my kind of like
1: frame, I guess, that I work in is um called uh, brief solution focused therapy, which basically means for me personally, and and this is something people kind of really need to understand with when talking to therapists or social workers or everyone in general in the helping profession, is we bring in our own thoughts, beliefs, ideas, attitudes, you know, the whole gamut of who we are into that room too. So yes, we have specific and special training on how to help everyone, but we also have our own ideas of what is going to be the best course of care. So for me personally, I'm not one that necessarily wants to do long-term therapy. So if you're somebody out there who's like, I really want to go to therapy, but I'm just like not really sure about it. I also don't want to like sit and talk deep about my feelings. I'm just kind of feeling this, like something's off, I'm feeling anxious kind of constantly. I don't know what's going on, but I just want to like solution. I just want to like figure it out. Okay, great. That is exactly what I do. <laughs> um, and so it's like I said, it's brief solution focused therapy. And so my job is you come in We do a diagnostic assessment, which just means I ask you the questions. I get to know your history because I do think where you come from matters. But I don't delve into like all the inner childhood trauma and like all this stuff necessarily. What I like to focus on is what is your presenting problem now? What's going on for you now? Is it you're having, you know, a lot of financial stress? Are you having relational stress? Are you having what whatever your presenting problem is? Is it your job isn't fitting you, your whatever? And then we focus on that one specific problem primarily, and then we resolve it. So whether that's you know, simple, actionable lifestyle changes, we come up with a plan, we set goals, and it's really, really action focused. And then I might see you for three to five sessions, kind of depending on what each individual needs because at the end of the day we're all individuals and we all do have unique needs Um, and then if you're like hey this is working really well for me there's other things in my life that I would also like to touch on great we can kind of move into like what maybe the next issue is or you can go on your very merry way and I'll say see you later let me know if life gets a little too tough for you to handle again come back and see me for three to five sessions great Again, if you need a little bit more, a little bit less, whatever, but I don't think therapy always needs to be about like dissecting your whole childhood trauma and life circumstances and whatever. Some people love that, not bashing it at all. It's great for some people. It's just not the form of therapy that I practice.
0: Gotcha. That is very interesting because a lot of people do that like deep inner child, like childhood history work to figure out the problems of today. Totally. Yeah. And
1: it's so necessary for, like, I mean, myself, I've worked through a lot of different things throughout therapy and I've seen therapists for probably a year, maybe a year and a half on like a biweekly basis. And it's great. Like, you need those people at some point, sometimes, but not always. And so, um, like, at this integrative healthcare clinic that I worked at, I was kind of a dual role. So I did outpatient therapy. So I had people come in um, and I saw people for as many as like 10 to 12 sessions. Again, just depends on what they need, what they're looking for. You know, all of it matters. Um, and then I also would push into those appointments with the doctors, with the dentists, just to get those patients through the next week, the next two weeks, the next month of their life. And then, and we just talked about it, and we just figured it out, and it was great.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you get to see a lot of the, um, like the aftermath, right? The solutions that help them, and you get to see how that resolves itself with those following up sessions
1: exactly and like some of it is you know we're all multifaceted and so we have a lot of different things going on all at once so if we're working primarily on say financial stress because that's what's coming up for you well that's there's very there's a very high likelihood that that financial stress is bleeding into like your relationships and because you know, you and your partner aren't having open conversations about what you're feeling like you need to do for finances or whatever, Um, then we kind of can maybe touch on a little bit of like, how do you talk to your partner about this? And how does that look for you? And, you know, should we bring them in for some conversation too? Or how, you know, so it just, everything kind of touches on each other. But like I said, we really focus on like one primary concern or primary issue And then if other stuff comes up, again, like maybe you have the plan, you're like, okay, now I only want to come in for three sessions, just get it done, hit these goals. And then you're like, oh wait, this is actually kind of fun. This is actually kind of fulfilling. This is actually kind of like really great. (laughs) We're making a lot of progress. Let's move into these other goals that I have, these other things that I have. So yeah,
0: yeah. that's cool. Do you ever meet with a client and then think like, okay, maybe you do need to go to like a long-term therapist or how does that work?
1: Yeah, certainly. So there's definitely been people that we've like referred out to more like suitable, if you will, um, therapy. So like where I was, because we had an entire behavioral health clinic, there was six, seven, six or seven um other therapists there and then two behavioral health consultants. So me and my, my myself and another woman. Um and so if I saw like, yeah this is probably something else and after the conversation the dialogue opens up and the person like the client actually feels more comfortable in therapy than they initially thought they would then I might have the conversation like hey we have so and so on staff they might have like a target um clientele whether it's like an age group or um some sort of experience so like One of the therapists on staff was very, very much worked with men who had been incarcerated for one reason or another. Like that was kind of like her niche of clients. Great. Send them over. Um, We also had like a child therapist. We also had, so there was kind of a, it was a nice mix and I could refer to those people and just say like, if this is something you're open to, this might be a really good fit for you. Almost 95% of the time people are like, yeah, I think, I think long-term therapy might be better. you know, if, if it's like suggested by me and if they agree, whatever, it's usually like very well received. Um, sorry. I'm, as you know, very pregnant. So I'm very out of breath all the time when I'm talking <laughs> now, cause it's just the life I live, but,
0: um, no, you're amazing. You're what? Four weeks away from giving birth
1: four weeks away. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm like freaking out. So here we are.
0: <laughs> she is amazing. <laughs>
1: oh my God. Yeah. So anyway, but, um, Yeah, so we can always refer out and like any therapist can do that, you know, if it's like, hey, this just isn't a good fit for one reason or another, we see, you know, there's just more to it, or there's a better person suited for you that's going to help you better than that. I mean, that's part of our duty is to make sure that you are getting the right help.
0: Yeah. And that's nice because I feel like a lot of people's fears when going to a therapist or like, um, even getting short-term help like you offer is they're not going to find the right fit. Mm -hmm. And so it's comforting to say like, okay, well, maybe even if I try this and I don't find the right fit, maybe they'll help me find the right fit.
1: (laughs) Well, and right. And it's like, we know other people and we have the resources and we have, you know, the connections. And so as somebody who's not in the helping profession every single day, as somebody who's maybe intimidated by therapy, just, yeah, taking that first step and then getting to see somebody and talking about it. And maybe it is a really good fit right off the bat. That's ideal. But if it's not, you know, other proper steps will will and should should be taken <laughs> to make sure you're finding, you know, and that's all part of the evaluation. Like you should in theory, have a therapist who's like, okay, let's get through, whether it's brief therapy or long-term therapy, you should be in- intentionally doing evaluations of like, what progress are we seeing? How are you, like, you know, a con- a very open conversation about like, how are you feeling about how things are going here in this room? Do you feel like you're making progress? Do you feel like you're just coming here and chatting and then nothing's really happening outside of therapy? Again, I'm one that also believes homework outside of therapy is like usually necessary because we have one hour together maybe once a week (laughs) of all the hours in the week one hour isn't going to do a whole bunch like you have to also be doing work outside of here and that's going to look totally different for everyone Mm -hmm. um but super super necessary so yeah
0: yeah so um what kind of homework do you assign like reading books or like Okay, you have to do this one communication with this one person. Like practice that, or what does that look like?
1: It's totally. I mean, it is so different for everyone because, like I said, everyone has different presenting problems, and so it's really dependent upon the age. Sometimes I'll say, like, I'll. I often refer to books. Like, if I think it's going to be a good fit, in no way, shape, or form, am I like you must read the next two chapters before I see you next, or you know, like something like that. That would just be ridiculous it's usually like a, Hey, this is a tool that I found really helpful for people in your circumstance or whatever. I suggest it. If you have the time to read, listen to it, whatever, um, do that. Um, but there are some things, especially if we're like doing like specific goal setting, um, like, okay, then let's figure out. Cause you can't just, we know that the research says that you can't just make a goal and, talk about it and have it in your head and have it like work like you need to go through and make it like a smarter goal like the if you've ever heard of those the
0: mm-hmm.
1: what simple I don't even know measurable actionable I'm gonna forget them now you uh, them? <laughs> you yes, sure? thank you <laughs> yep tiny, I don't know yes, yes, exactly evaluation
0: <laughs> I, I've heard of them though yeah yeah
1: so so do that and we can do that together mm-hmm. in the session it's like, okay, this is maybe kind of like a goal that's been looming over your head. How do we actually put that into practice? And then our next session might be like, where are we at on evaluating how that goal is coming to fruition? Something like that. Does that make sense? Because it's it's hard to give like a specific example with you know, like I said, there's just so many different, (laughs) different things. Yeah, no, it
0: makes sense because like you talk about the goals and then these are the maybe like one or two action items you need to do this week. And then, and then you also give them like resources, like books. Do you own a small business and need help with your numbers? It just happens that I, the host of this show, Carly Welty, has a bookkeeping business. Knowing your numbers is definitely top five things. You should absolutely, without a doubt, no questions asked, prioritize in your business. You might be scared because you think your numbers are a mess, but I can help you get them organized and keep them organized going forward. Go to my website, carlywelty.com to book a free consultation call to get quoted today. Are you just starting your business and you have more expenses than income? I can help with that too. Look on my website to see if my DIY bookkeeping template is right for you. Right now, get 10% off my template with the code podcast you have your own book that you wrote. Um, you. Can you tell us a little bit about that, the title, how you came up with the title? Cause it's a great one. And um, yeah, everything about that.
1: Oh my gosh. Yes. I'd love to. So my book is called, I got 99 coping skills and being a bitch ain't one. Uh, <laughs> and so, so good. <laughs> and so, yeah, it is quite literally a list of 99 coping skills. It is broken down into 11 chapters, so it's a little bit more digestible of, like, this is maybe some physical things you can do. This is more mind-body connection stuff you can do. This is, you know, retraining your brain activities, stuff like that. Um, so they're all broken down. Each coping skill is, like, two to three pages, so it's not supposed to be super, super in-depth. It just essentially gives um, what the coping skill is, if it's not super obvious, which, you know, most of them aren't, um, but just like a breakdown, like a paragraph or two of kind of what the coping skill is, um, another paragraph or so of how the research backs it up. So they're all evidence-based coping skills, um, which I was really, I really wanted because I'm like, sometimes people just say like, hey, try this. It's really helpful. But like, is it? Um, <laughs> and that kind of makes it sound textbooky, but it is not in in no way is a textbooky. I've, I made it fun. I made it lighthearted. Um, obviously from the title (laughs) right like the title should tell you it is not a super you know formal book (laughs) Um, and then the last part of each coping skill is either how I've put the coping skill in practice in my own life how I've used it with clients or I have 33 people so a third of the coping skills I have interviewed um, various people who have like more of an expertise In that specific niche if I didn't feel like it was something that like you know I could speak to incredibly well or they or just period they could sleep they could speak to it better um and so yeah it's been super fun I loved writing it I think it kind of started as like a passion project for me I was like this Mm -hmm. would be so cool and then as I was writing it and as it got further along I was like this would actually be really helpful like really helpful for people And so then I published it and now it's out
0: and about in the world, just living its life. And it's so fun. (laughs) That is so cool how it works out. So you said it started kind of as a passion project, but what initially led you to wanting to write a book?
1: So when I was working in that same inpatient psychiatric hospital, my job there at the time was working direct with patients. So I was on the floor. I kind of describe it like I was a nurse without passing meds. Um, So, very much involved in the one to one patient care, in the milieus, you know, guiding groups, doing all the things. I wasn't like a doctor that just pops in for five minutes, is essentially what I'm saying. (laughs) I was very much involved with kind of each patient. Um, And what I was noticing while I was there is so many of the patients came in with, you know, self injured behaviors, suicidality. Um, Just really, really, really heightened anxiety or depression, a lot of panic attacks, you know, really, really deep stuff. And so I couldn't help but notice while I was there, just like so many of these patients got to this point where they needed inpatient care. And I don't think all of them would have had to get to that point if there was some sort of preventive preventive measures that were being taken properly in their life they just they literally didn't have these coping skills they didn't have these lifestyle changes nobody taught them nobody like you know they just didn't have them available to them and so as I was doing you know a lot of the mindfulness work or a lot of the the you know retraining your brain a lot of the like mindset work and just all this different stuff I was like gosh if people had these tools just in their everyday life and not even like if you're clinically diagnosed with anxiety like if you're just experiencing heightened stress these are really good things these are really good resources to have just on hand and just to know like hey this is something you can do to get yourself out of a really tough moment out of a really tough week whatever um and so I just kind of like built it out from there just thinking like it just, it doesn't have to be, we're so reactive as a society, I think. And if we had a little bit more prevention, you know, in place, it would be really helpful. Um, and so I just wanted to
0: do something that was going to be that. Yeah, that's really cool. So are the coping skills in your book for like multiple, I don't know if you'd call them symptoms, like depression, anxiety, stress, like it helps with all of that? So, yep. So the kind of like the second,
1: the secondary title, whatever is like evidence-based coping skills to improve stress, anxiety, and depression and improve overall well being. So really, like I said, it's for anybody and it, it's actually not at all for people inpatient because a lot of the coping skills, you need to like be outside for, you need to be mm-hmm. like, you know, able to like access your phone, which our patients didn't have access to their phones, like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And, um, no, they're just totally for like anybody that I said, like everyone experiences stress, especially we know the pandemic exacerbated everything. Um, and it's just kind of a way to get yourself out of your own head and not all 90, (laughs) let me be very clear about this. Not all 99 coping skills are for everybody. Like 1000% not true. Um, but there's without a doubt, at least, you know five, 10, maybe even 15 skills that you can put in your back pocket and be like, oh, this is something that one, I already do. And I didn't even realize it was like a coping mechanism, but validating for sure. It feels good to know that like, this is helping me or like, this is something I would like to try. I'd like to learn. I'd like to know a little bit more about. I also set it up. So it is a resource for people. So because as I said, I don't get in depth, which with like, I mean, that would be, that book would be longer than the bible it would just be insane if I like really really dug deep into each of those coping skills but I provide resources on where you might go to get a little bit further help on kind of each coping skill so if you're interested in learning more about it visit x y and z go to this try this whatever um or like literal steps on how to like implement the skill yeah um and so it's very much again supposed to be a tool like a tangible way for people to be like oh this is how I can use this in my life um and the other thing I will say on that is hmm, what was the other thing (laughs) love the question box (laughs) <laughs> yes, thank you. This is just my life I'm living. Oh gosh. Um it has nothing to do with growing a human, right? No, no. That he's, you know, taking up all my blood. He's currently kicking my kidney, whatever, all the things. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. Um Oh, shoot. Okay. Ask me the next question. I'll think of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. I was just going to say that's really cool about like the resources, additional resources for each coping sc- skill. And it's also nice that not all 99 have to apply to you because that's like might be overwhelming for some people. Um, oh, totally. So yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um. And then, okay, I have a question, but it might be a tough one. So do you have any advice? Because like basically everyone needs to read this book, right? Um. <laughs> myself included. Like I need to order this after our conversation. <laughs> but um what about the people that are like no I'm fine like that's silly stuff like I don't need to cope or like read anything like that or even listen to you talking about that like what do you what would what would your advice be for one the people who think it's silly and two the people who love the people who think it's silly.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great thing. So I am of the firm belief that there's no possible way to change another person unless they're willing and wanting to change, right? Mm, so like good. it kind of all starts with us. Um, and that's just the reality of it. What I will say on, you know, that's a little sad of a note, but it's true. If you have like, especially if you have people in your life that you're like, God, just, just understand how important this is, you know, like just shake them and like, it, I have people, believe me in my life like that. Mm. <laughs> a lot of them. So frustrating. Um, it's so frustrating you're like come on like just you could be better and like you know but what happens is if especially depending on how close those relations relationships are to you if you do it if you're putting in the work they will see that you're putting in the work so um my husband has actually been really wonderful in that he um he has no background in therapy he's experienced very little you know on on the on the on the gamut of like hardships, he's really been very blessed in his life. Um, Not that he hasn't gone through some things, of course, but he's just, you know, he's had a very good, good life overall, which is Mm -hmm. lovely for him. And I would never, I would never want him to experience, you know, trauma and all the things, but I come from a very different background. And so when we were, especially early on in our relationship and stuff, it was a little intimidating to him that I was a therapist and I've done all this like you know self-awareness stuff and I really care about emotional intelligence and I really you know all this all these things that are really really important and again research backs that it's really important it's just not like these woo-woo ideas um but we would get into conversations about like why something like going to a personal development conference is important to me I don't think in a million years you would catch my husband dead in- at <laughs> one of those like he would be like oh my god absolutely not but (laughs) that's not what he needs to do right like that's not his thing but when he sees that I'm trying to do better whether that's being a better mom being a better wife because there's always room for improvement on any sort of quote-unquote title that you hold um and so all I can do is be the best that I can be and he will pick up on and I (laughs) I definitely ebb and flow on some of this Like, sometimes I'm just like, it's fine. We're in a rut, whatever it's happening. But other times I look around, I'm like, okay, my house is in chaos. My, you know, my brain is in chaos. I have all this mental mess that I just haven't like cleaned up. I have these, you know, browser tabs open in my brain that I just need to start closing (laughs) out. Um, Whatever the case may be, if I decide that I'm in control of that and I need to be the one to put in the work and I need to do these things, externally, he is going to see that I'm becoming much happier, that I'm doing the doing the work that I need to do to be the best version of who I can be. And it's contagious. It is so contagious. I can't tell you how many times this man has come home. And like I said, my house is constant. I live in, I'm fine living in chaos. Like it's just, <laughs> I thrive in chaos. Um, but he doesn't. And so I know like, okay, if I want him to start doing the dishes, for example, more often, what is going to be the best thing to do? I'm going to do the other things around the house. And then it was like a miracle. Like I was picking up the house and if he's sitting on the couch on, you know, scrolling on his phone after work or something, baby's down, we're good, but I'm not sitting down relaxing. I'm putting, I'm putting in the work, whether it's like working on my business, working on cleaning it, like I said, cleaning up the house, whatever it is, he all of a sudden would put his phone down and see something that needs to be picked up. And he would start joining me. And it's just like this ripple effect. And that's just one small example. But that can work for anything, whether it's like, hey, honey, um, this is my love language and I wanna start, you know, if you're if you're filling up other people's buckets, if you're filling up their cups, their love languages, they're this, they're that, they are gonna start seeing that and reciprocating it. It's not probably gonna happen overnight. It's gonna take a little time, a little work and whatever. Um, but you the best you can do is work on you. And like I said, it is so contagious. People just around you pick up on it.
0: Yeah, that's such good advice. It's just, um, I feel like that's a good reminder for our generation or the time that we live in because of the instant gratification. Like you get so frustrated you're like, why isn't, you know, my spouse or my parent or my sibling or my best friend, like doing these things that would better them or better our relationship but you do it for like one day and you expect the whole world to change
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally totally and we do have to remind ourselves of that right like like you said the instant gratification thing is something again I'm totally guilty of it and I'm like very aware of it it's Mm -hmm. like but it's just to not have that be a barrier and to just and that but that brings up also a really good point that you can't do this only in pursuit of changing somebody around you mm, yeah. you need to really be genuine to who you are and what you want and know that like nope no. Nope, I mean this is going to sound a little tough love but nobody's coming to save you nobody is coming to help you yes there's like you can ask for it but like at the end of the day you are your person through and through all mm-hmm. the way so you have to be doing these things like what do I want to see in myself what changes you know take a good hard look in the mirror what changes do you need to make in order to affect those that you love around you um but yeah. it, it's all gonna start with you and that's really really it should be what changes do I need to make to make myself better period yeah whatever else happens around me is an added
0: bonus Yep, yeah, that's a good point that's a really good point and isn't there like isn't there a quote that's like the change starts with you? I'm not sure. Maybe I just made that up.
1: <laughs> I don't know. So, if you made it up, we should put it on a t-shirt or something. I like it.
0: <laughs> yep, me too. Well, I learned a lot. I hope the listeners learned a lot too. I know I'm for sure going to go pick up a book because the a copy of your book, because I need to read it. <laughs> I feel like everyone needs to read it. Everyone needs those basic coping skills that don't seem so obvious and so basic. So thank you so much for for talking to me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. You learned a lot, right? I told you. I forgot to ask Lindsay all about how to best find her because every single one of us would benefit from going to her website, buying her book, or binging her content on Instagram. Did I do this? Yes, I did. Lindsay can be found on Instagram as CopingWithLindsay. Her website is, you guessed it, CopingWithLindsay.com, and that is Lindsay with an E, so L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. I think some Lindsays might spell it with an A, but I'm not sure. Anyways, the last thing is you can find her book on Amazon and it's called I Have 99 Coping Skills and Being a Bitch Ain't One. These will all be linked in the show notes. Okay, now for today's takeaways. Number one, look up federally qualified health centers near you. These are like one-stop shops that have a lot of resources in the same place. After hearing this episode, I looked them up in New Mexico where I am and there is 50 throughout the state. Look them up in your areas too. Number two, Lindsay briefly talks about primary doctors having little training in mental health. I'm going to guess this varies doctor to doctor, but I would say a great learning lesson here is to try to see a behavioral health provider, a therapist, or someone who specializes in mental health if you have any sort of feeling you need those services. Number three, therapy doesn't always have to be about dissecting your whole childhood and going deep in history. Lindsay's specialty is brief solution-focused therapy. The fact that this type of therapy exists is news to me, so if nothing else, maybe you learned about the different therapy options. But this is where you have a handful of solution-based sessions. Number four, we talked about examples of homework Lindsay might give a client because working on your mental health for one hour per week, although a great start, probably won't move mountains. Whether you are getting outside help with your mental health or not, I feel like having quote-unquote homework or more plainly just being curious about learning more about mental health can be so beneficial. A great start would be reading Lindsay's book with 99 coping skills. Number five, Having the knowledge of coping skills as a preventative measure can improve mental health and help people get through tough moments, days, or weeks. Number six, there's no possible way to change a person unless they're willing to change. Being the best you can be is the best way to improve someone in a positive way to want to improve their own life. But remember, you can't improve your life solely in hopes someone will change theirs. Take a genuine look in the mirror of how you can be the best version of yourself. Change starts with you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening today. I've received a lot of positive and encouraging feedback from friends and family, and it keeps me going. So thank you. I would love it if you would reach out through my email linked in the show notes or on Instagram at KW Accounting Services. You can reach out and tell me a different takeaway you had while listening, some feedback, or if you have a guest idea in mind who you would love to hear on the show. Have a great day.